0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Titled Saturate, uh, this is a six-week series where we are going to be learning together how to be disciples of Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. But before we dive into that, let me just say again to our mothers, happy Mother's Day. Uh, we especially want to welcome you. We are pro-moms here at Fellowship. Uh, we love moms not just one day out of the year, but, but every day. And if you're here and you have not been able to have children, uh, you are still the product of a mom, right? And so none of us would be here without moms. Uh, we thank you for the love that you show us. We thank you just uh, uh, for, for your, your uh, really your example of, of Christ-like service to us. And we just want to especially honor you today. I also want to say, to those of you who are guests, and this is your first time with us this morning, you're in good company, because it's all of our first times this morning, right, in this building. And so, our hope is that you go from feeling like guests to feeling like family very soon. Uh, Pastor Luke will come forward and talk more about how you can do that at the end of this service before I get into our text, I just want to say real quick, and I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, um, but if possible, Jordan Lane, Megan Helms, Brandon Treat, and Elizabeth Lamb, would you stand up real quick, and uh, can y'all give them a round of applause? <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't know what we're clapping about. Uh, <laughs> These four people have made it possible for us to be in this building today. Um, So many of you have put in so much time and resources into this facility, and from the bottom of my heart, we cannot thank you enough. Whenever we first launched our vision to, to purchase this facility and remodel it, we said maybe there's a possibility that we could start doing this in October of 2016, start the remodel, and yet, because of your generosity and your gifts, and because God's bigger than we could ever imagine, here we are on Mother's Day, and it's remodeled. Now, this building is like us. It's a work in progress, as you've already seen. And so we will continue to uh, uh, work on those issues. We ask that you be patient with us as we try to do that. But these four that I had stand, I mean, they literally put in hundreds of hours of their own time to make sure we were able to be here today. So I want to be sure and honor them this morning. So Matthew chapter four is where we are going to be. Uh, we're going to start in verse eighteen. And read to verse twenty, and then we're also going to read in Matthew twenty-eight, verse sixteen through twenty. So Matthew chapter four, starting in verse eighteen. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. Now, if you will, flip with me over just to Matthew chapter 28 real quick. Matthew 28, and I want to read in verse 16 through verse 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Which, let me just say this. Isn't that encouraging to know that here's these disciples that spent three years with Jesus in the flesh, almost every second of every day, and here they are still with doubts in their hearts. It's an encouragement to me because I know even as a pastor, there's still times in my life where I doubt Jesus, where I doubt the gospel. And it's right here, the disciples, they're struggling with the same thing, right? So if you struggle with doubts, welcome. This morning, again, you're in, you're in good company. Some doubted. Verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together one more time. Father, I thank you so much for each person who is here today. I know that nobody came, Father, to just hear from a 33-year-old, to, to share about my opinions. Maybe some came here because to honor mothers. Maybe some to check out the building. I pray that all of us will leave encountering you today. I pray that through the power of your spirit that you will take this word and you will make it alive in our hearts and transform us from the inside out for our good and your glory. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. There have been four different times in my life uh, since I've become a Christian that I can think of that God has very clearly spoke directly to me in a way that absolutely changed my life. Uh, The first time this happened was a couple weeks after I started following Jesus and I was in the shower of all places and God spoke to me very clearly and said, Jared, you need to start a college ministry. And so I went and started a college ministry, and God bless that. Another time that I can remember God speaking very clearly to me was whenever he told me I was driving down a gravel road, Jared, I want you to move to Louisville, and I want you to go to seminary. I want you to get a degree in the Bible. And so I moved to Louisville and and got my degree. A third time that I can remember God speaking very clearly to me was whenever Megan Hawley walked into the buckle when I was working to buy a pair of jeans, but she also left with my heart. And uh, I remember that day, I mean, I said to my boss, Todd Roscoe, I looked at him and I said, man, that woman is going to make someone an awesome wife someday, and I really hope it's me. And so I'm thankful that Todd was like, well, you should probably get her name and then try to get a hold of her. And I did, and of course I asked her on a date. She said no, but eventually I wore her down. Many of you know the story. It wasn't until after I went to a beach, she saw me with my shirt off, that then <laughs> she realized that I was the man for her. I should probably be careful because my father-in-law is in the house today. And so, just remember that. Um, but I remember, I remember God speaking to me clearly and saying, that's the woman you should marry. And then a fourth time that I remember God speaking very clearly to me, saying, this is what I want you to do, was, was fellowship. It was God when he came to me and said, I want you to plant a church in Perigold. And I remember whenever I would share this desire with people, I would get kind of a similar response. People would often say, well, that's great. But why Paragold? I mean, isn't there already tons of churches in the city? I mean, why not go to Africa or, you know, to Seattle or somewhere where there's, there's very few churches? I mean, Jared, isn't there a church building on every single corner in the city? And what I would respond is usually something like this. I would say, you know, if the church is just a building or a Sunday event, then no, we do not need another one of those in Paragold. But if the church is something more, if the church is something greater, which I believe, according to the Scripture, it is, if the church is, as the Bible tells us, God's people, saved by God's power and dwelt with God's presence and then sent out for God's purpose to make disciples who make disciples so that God's glory will fill this earth as the waters cover the sea, then no, we could never have too many churches. You see, I... Believe, from my experience, and from many of your experience, you have shared likewise that there are lots of people in Paragold who know about Jesus. But I would say there are far less who have a life-changing, joy-filled relationship with the real Jesus, who is the good news, not just to our Sundays, but to our everyday. There are scores of people in this city who have given their lives, I believe, to a religious Jesus... To maybe a counterfeit Jesus, a Jesus of their heads. And they have discovered that he is boring, he is weak and unable to help them at all. The good news is there is a real Jesus. A resurrected King Jesus we read about in the scripture who is alive and is the good news to all of life. And it is because of him we decided to plant this church. And when we planted this church, our goal was never to fill a building with attendees. Our goal has always been to fill the city with disciples who were going out and making more disciples so that the gospel of Jesus Christ is saturating the lives of men, women, and children in Paragould, and Jonesboro and all of Northeast Arkansas and Cleveland, Tennessee, which we're planting a church in in just a matter of weeks and beyond. So that the result is more and more people experience the salvation and the satisfaction, the forgiveness and the freedom that is found in no one else. That was our desire four years ago when we started with six people in a home. And that is still our desire today. So in the time that I have remaining, what I want to do is I want to share with you how we can experience this life. How we can embrace this vision. How we can experience the abundant life that Jesus has for us. And then join in the mission of extending this to others so they can experience the same thing. And the first thing I want you to see is if you look back in Matthew 4, verse 19, is if you are going to experience the life that Jesus has for you, the rich life, the deep life, the abundant life, it starts with making a personal decision to follow Jesus. If you notice, whenever Jesus comes to his first disciples, he says, follow after me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. And and what happens in the next text? It says, they left their nets and followed him. Now, leaving your nets might not seem like a big deal to you, but what you need to understand is when the disciples left their nets, they weren't just leaving a hobby, they were leaving their career. I mean, this was their main source of income. But then when they met Jesus, they said, you're worth it. They left their career. They they left their families. They left their friends. They left everything that was familiar to them. In other words, when these disciples met the real Jesus, they radically reoriented all of their life around Him. This is essentially what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a disciple. It is not, please hear me, it is not just to give Jesus our Sunday, it's to give Him our every day. To be a Christian is not just to give Jesus our afterlife, it is to give Him this life. And though I stand in front of a crowd, I know this morning I'm in front of a crowd of individuals, and I just want to ask you, is this true of you? Have you... Ma'am, have you, sir, have you, teen, have you made a decision to follow after Jesus? Have you embraced the gospel that says Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life you could never live? and then die to death that, that, that you and I deserve to die for our sins, taking the full wrath of God on Himself, and then didn't just stay dead, but after dying for us, He rose from the dead three days later, conquering sin, death, and hell, so that you and I, when we trust in His life, death, and resurrection, no matter who you are or what you have done, can stand before God, holy, blameless, and accepted. Have you embraced that? And are you now following after Jesus? Notice, please listen, my question this morning is not, have you prayed a prayer? My question is not, have you walked down an aisle? My question is not, are you faithful of attending a church service? My question is, right now, where you are, is it true that you are following after Jesus? Only you can answer That question For the disciples, the most important thing in their life was to be with Jesus. And you know, I think our temptation today is to say, Well, yeah, of course, it was easy for them. I mean, Jesus was physically, tangibly with them. They could experience His presence. But now, I can't experience Jesus' presence. I mean, He's not here. And so, yeah, 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 Pastor, you can preach about Jesus. And yeah, I can read my Bible where it talks about Jesus. But I can't really experience Him because physically, I mean, He's gone, right? Well, yeah, though, physically, He is not here if you remember in Matthew 28, in the text that we read earlier, Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended to go back with his father, he looks at them and says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The disciples would have been like, what do you mean be be with us always? You're going back to to heaven to be with your father. So how are you going to be with us? And then when you look in Acts chapter 1, we don't have it on the screen for you, but we see the answer. Jesus sends us his very Holy Spirit so that we can have the power and the presence of God with us, no matter who you are or where you are when you're trusting in Christ. And if you sit here today and you're like, yeah, but the Holy Spirit, I mean, that's not near as good as Jesus. You don't know what you have. Jesus himself said in John 17, 6, It is better that I go and be with the Father so that I can send you the Spirit. Jesus said, if he was here physically in the flesh with us this morning, he'd say, Guys, I know that you enjoy hanging out with me. I know you like, you know, singing with me and all that, but it's better that I leave so that you can have the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus, he's in one place at one time. But what's the great thing about the Spirit? You know, if Jesus is here... Imagine, like, we're all fighting for him. Like, I want to get to Jesus. I want healing, or I want to talk to him. I got a question to ask him. But we're not all getting to Jesus today, right? If he's here in the flesh, we can't all touch him, talk to him. We can't all experience his presence on the same level. But now that he has sent his spirit, no matter who you are or where you have come from, you can experience Jesus in full, 24-7. Therefore, listen, guys, the focus for those of us living in 2016 to be a disciple of Jesus. You know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to follow after Jesus in the everyday stuff of life? It means that we must learn to live with an awareness of his Holy Spirit. We must learn, as Brother Lawrence says, to practice the presence of God. And I love that, that, that word, practicing the presence of God, because you know that this does take Practice. You cannot just show up here once a week, listen to some some preaching, and sing a few song, or sing a few songs, and expect for that to be all the presence of God that you possibly need throughout the week. Like you need to encounter the presence of God every single day by diving into God's word, by spending time in prayer, and listen. Those things take practice, do they not? I was talking to a guy this past week that I've been discipling that I think just has given his life to Jesus. And he called me and said, hey, how many chapters do you read in the scripture each day? And I said, I try to read them between four to five chapters every morning and spend time in prayer. And he's like, man, that seems so, I don't think I could do that. And I said, well, don't try that. Start with a chapter at the most, right? And work your way up. Like it takes practice to read God's word and enjoy God's word and to pray. It takes practice to untether yourself from technology To put your phone down long enough to listen to God. It takes practice to not just come here and think about Jesus through his spirit. But to also be aware of him when you're checking your email. When you're responding to that text. When you're home alone and it's just you and your computer or you're in a crowd. Learning to be with Jesus takes practice. When you're chasing your kids. When you're at the house or at the ballpark or in a line at store, this is what it means to be a disciple. It's not just to come to a building, but it's learning how to commune with Jesus through his spirit and the everyday stuff of life. And you know what will happen as you begin to practice this? Is you will become yourself more like Jesus. And you know what that means? It means anxiety will slowly begin to be replaced with peace. Depression will slowly begin to be replaced with joy. Anger slowly begins to be replaced with patience. You can experience, as the Bible talks about in Galatians 5, the full fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is a promise to you. Who doesn't want that life? And it is yours as a follower of Christ, as you live aware of Jesus through His Spirit. This is fundamental, and it is essential to what it means to be a Christian, to be a disciple. But it doesn't stop there. Because what we also learn is if we're going to experience the life Jesus has for us, not only do we need to be connected to Christ, but we also must be connected to community. Now let me ask you this. How many of you in here like Shark Week? Let me see a show of hands. We got any Shark Week fans? All right, seven of you. Awesome. My motto in life is that we should live every week like it's Shark Week. I really think so. I love Shark Week. And uh, one, of the, uh, one of the things I love about Shark Week is how amped up everybody else gets about sharks, you know, when you're watching it. And so, like, there's one episode I remember, this guy's on a boat, and they're always yelling, right? Which, like, makes it even more exciting. So this guy's like, all right, so we're on a boat, and Cape Cod right now, and we're out in the ocean, and he's like, and we're around a bunch of great white sharks. And here's what we're going to do. I and mean, he's using all this volume, so instantly I'm engaged. I like volume. And so he's like, here's what we're going to do. We're testing a the theory to see if you are in a pack of seals, you are more likely to survive than if you are just a single seal. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take these little rubber seals, we're going to tie them together, and we're going to send them out into the ocean, and then we're going to take this one single prey seal and put him out in the ocean and see which one survives. And so they get this little group of seals, and they throw them out of the boat, under the water, and they get this one little bitty lone rubber seal, and they push it out that way. And within a matter of minutes, you know what happens? This great white shark comes up and devours this little bitty single rubber seal. And the big climactic ending is this, is after the great white, you know, does this thing with the the seal... It cuts back to the guy in the boat and he's holding up this little bitty like remnant of this rubber seal and he's like, just as we expected. If you are a single prey seal, you are far less likely to survive than if you are with a group of seals. And then the credits roll. That was it. That was the, That was the whole little show. Now, <clears throat> I don't want to overstate anything, but I could have just saved your life if you're going to the beach this summer. But more importantly than that, I want you to understand that even in nature, we are pointed to the power and the significance of community. Now, all the introverts in here, relax for a second, because I know you're already getting nervous. But listen, we were made for community. Do you understand? Life does not work apart from you being connected to others. That is why in Genesis, when God comes to Adam, he says to him, it is not good for man to be what? Alone. That's why when he comes to the disciples in Matthew 4, Jesus does not say, Hey, Peter, you're my homeboy, baby. Just you and me, one-on-one for the next three years. Or he doesn't say, Peter, I'm going to hang out with you on Monday, Andrew, you on Tuesday, to all the disciples Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. No, what does he do? Jesus could have done this any way he wanted, but yet what does he do? He calls these 12 different men. Most of them with very different personalities and very different backgrounds and different ages. And he says, just as me, God the Son, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit have lived in harmony from eternity past. This is what you must learn to do if you are going to be my disciple. You must learn to live in community with other people who are following after me if you are ever going to reach full maturity. If you are ever going to experience the life that I've created you to live. And you say, well, well, what's the big deal about community? Well, community does two things for us. One, the reason we need community is because community exposes us. How many of you in here, and be honest, before you got married and you were single, you thought you were pretty awesome? I know I did. Thought I was pretty awesome. Then I got married, and I realized I'm selfish. I realized... That I tend to cut people off when I talk. I realized that I can be anal about stuff. Um, Some of you are laughing because you're like, yes, you can be. Um, I realized that I struggle sometimes to show grace to others. Why? Because I begin to live in deeper community with somebody. And listen, it's the same way with the Christian community. As you begin to let more and more people into your life, and you live life among them, guess what? It's going to expose stuff in your heart that you're totally unaware of. And if some of you, listen, that seems really scary. But what you need to hear this morning is it's really beautiful. Because listen, guys, you will never experience the life Christ has for you. You will never get there until you first realize where you really are. You have to realize where you really are in your heart before you can get to where Jesus has called you to go. So community, was that something I did? No? Okay. Did you hear something fall? No. Okay, all right, good. Where was I? Okay, yeah, so community, it doesn't just expose you. But another thing community does for us is it grows you. If you look in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to see how community grows you. Paul says this in verse 15, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. Into Christ. From whom, verse 16, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, what happens? It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When you are living life around other Christians. It will expose your sin, but if that community is being a community to you that God has called them to be, when your sin is exposed, they won't just sit back and say, oh, I'm not going to say anything about it. When they see weaknesses, when they see struggles, what does Paul say we should be doing is speaking the truth to one another. And the truth is not just a fact. It is the gospel. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. One of the ways community helps us is as we are being exposed and we're realizing there are still areas where we struggle to believe the gospel is whenever our brothers and sisters come around us and speak that truth to us. And the result is what? When we hear that gospel and we receive it is we grow up, Paul says. We experience maturity. We experience the life that God has created us to experience. Some of you here today, you've been in the church for years. You listen to K-Love. You have a nice devotional life, but you... If you can admit today, you are still incredibly immature in your faith. And the reason may be because you have still yet to place yourself in community. This is all that there is. Is my battery dying? Okay. All right. Thanks. Um, even as a pastor of this church, I recognize my own need for community. I was talking to, to Cassie Langford about this this past week, about Nicole Costner. And we were talking about how much of a blessing Nicole is to her community, how quick she is to speak up words of encouragement and love to those that she's around. Even this past, uh, I guess it was two weeks ago, Nicole's been in my life enough where she can tell whenever I'm discouraged or overwhelmed. And she came up to me and she wasn't afraid to speak the truth. And she just in love began to share truth with me, to speak the gospel. Man, I'm telling you, it totally lifted my soul. I need that. Even as a pastor with a master's in theology, I need that. I need guys like Scott Walker who called me this past week and said, Hey, brother, last week when you were preaching, I don't think you've anything by it, but you said something that I think could have been offensive to somebody in this particular group, and I just want you to be aware of it, man, because I know your heart, and I want you to come across as loving. I mean, I need that. I need community. You need community. I was talking to Zach Wilson This past week, and he was just uh, sharing about how much his community, his church community has meant to him over the last couple months as his grandfather is dying in a hospital. And he said he could have been so discouraged because his grandfather didn't know Jesus and he was so afraid that he was going to die and spend an eternity in hell. He's like it's the worst thing in the world to see your grandfather dying without Jesus so he shares that with his community. His community begins to pray for and to pray that God would soften his grandfather's heart, to pray that God would give Zach courage and boldness. And Zach eventually had an opportunity to share Jesus with his grandfather. And as far as we can tell, he gave his life to Jesus. And he died as a man who at this moment we, we hold out. Hope is worshiping Jesus in fullness in heaven. He talked about how in this loss, in this moment, how how much his community has meant to him and encouraged him and spoke truth to him. Guys, this is something all of us need. Now, is community hard? Is it hard to live in community? Yes. Is it messy? Yes. Does it take sacrifice? Yes. But only when we begin to live in community with other followers of Jesus can we find ourselves becoming more like Jesus. Finally, what I want to point you to is, ultimately, if we are going to be like Christ, we not only need to live in a personal relationship with Jesus, we not only need to live in community with other people who are following Jesus, but we need to live on mission so that we can make more disciples of Jesus. In Matthew 28, and we're coming in for a landing this morning, Jesus, again, has done everything that he set out to do. He lived the perfect life. He died the death we deserve to die. He rose from the dead. And now here he is, God in the flesh. And he says, there's one more thing I want to leave with you, church, before I go back to be with the Father. And he says this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It doesn't matter what else he says there. We should probably listen. Because he says, I have authority over everything. And then he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The truth is this morning, disciples make disciples. In other words, if you have been saved by God, you have been sent by God on mission to proclaim Jesus with your mouth. To demonstrate the good news of the gospel with your hands. To help others learn how they can live and love like Jesus. So that God's glory can fill the earth as the waters cover the seas. Guys, this is not superior or varsity Christianity. This is baseline Christianity. This is what it means to be the church that God is calling us to be. To make personal decisions. To follow after Jesus. To spend time with him. But not to stay connected to Jesus in our own little personal relationship. But to connect in community. And then to go out on mission to make Jesus known so that people here and in Jonesboro and beyond who are far from God can be brought near. And you see, one of the things that makes us unique at fellowship is we really believe that the only way this can happen from what we can see is in the context of a missional community. And if you've hung around here very long, you know we talk about missional communities all the time. We have 10 missional communities right now with about 280 people who are involved in those. And a missional community is simply a family of missionary servants seeking to make disciples who make disciples. And listen, are there any perfect missional communities out there? No. Because you know why? They're all made up of sinners like me, of imperfect people but who are all standing in need of a perfect Savior together, trying to learn together how to be His disciples, how to follow Him in the everyday stuff of life. And I just want to encourage you, if you are not yet involved in a missional community, I'm telling you, in the end, you're missing out on a much deeper and richer life that Jesus Christ has for you. For some of you here today, being on mission with Jesus, following after Jesus does not appeal to you at all. Oh, you're ready for me to shut up so you can go to Chili's or whatever it is you're going to do. And I just want to say to you, you're welcome here. I used to be right where you were when I would hear someone preach about Jesus. And I'd be like, yeah, 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 whatever. I, I get it. Bring your doubts, bring your questions, bring your fears, and I promise you, we'll love you. This is a place, fellowship, where you can belong before you believe. We welcome you here. But maybe there are some of you this morning where you say, Man, yes, I want to live that life. I want to experience something deeper and fuller. But you're scared to step out. Following after Jesus, listen to me, just being honest, it's not natural. Following after Jesus is costly. It's not easy. It involves sacrifice and things like self-denial. But in the end, if you follow after Jesus, I want to encourage you with his own words in Matthew sixteen twenty four and 25. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to be my disciple, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus might as well right there said, hey, you want to follow after me? You want to have a relationship with me today? Pick up your electric chair. What he just said is pick up your execution device. Die to your dreams. Die to your desires. Die to your idea of how you should run your budget, how you should make your schedule, and give all of that over to me. Trust me with your entire life. It sounds so scary, but then look what he says in verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It will cost you something to follow Jesus. It will cost you money. It will cost you time. It will cost you a schedule. It will cost you some of your dreams and desires. It will cost you maybe some relationships. Following Jesus, listen guys, will cost you a lot. But listen to me clearly. Choosing not to follow Jesus will cost you far, far more. If you decide to go your own way and you say no to Jesus, do you realize it will cost you love? It will cost you real joy. It will cost you peace and patience and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. It will literally cost you life to the fullest. It will cost you, actually, I'll say it this way. It will cost you the life that every single one of you are actually longing for and were created to experience. So my prayer this morning is that you will choose to follow after Jesus. Not just here on Sunday, but every day. We all have two options this morning. Fellowship, and I'm speaking mainly to those of you who would claim to be this your church. We can either be the church Jesus has called us to be, or we can just play a game and we can set the rules and the guidelines and we can kind of come up with our own idea of what church should be. Uh, we can decide to live as just Sunday morning attendees or we can live as his disciples. There's just two options. We can either choose our comfort or we can choose the cross. And the great news is, is when we choose the cross, though it is scary, though it is messy, though it is difficult, what's on the other side of the cross? Resurrection. It's where life is. It is where power is. It is where the presence of God is. And so I pray that is a path we will continue to take. And as a result, we'll see more disciples being made, more lives being changed as the gospel of Jesus Christ is saturating the city and beyond. What we're going to do this morning is a little different from what we have done when we were at the cinema. Um, Usually we take communion whenever we leave and we're walking out the door every week. Now we have the opportunity to really sit in and enjoy this moment and not feel rushed. And what we are going to do is, is, in just a moment, the band's going to come up after I pray. And they're going to play a song. And I want you to stand when that happens. And if you are a Christian, if you have chose to follow Jesus, we want to invite you to go to the table. And there's some bread there that Jesus said represents his body. And there's some juice there that you can t- tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, which represents his blood. And I want all of us to enjoy together this tangible expression of communion. This is something we will do every single week like we always have. And just a reminder, by taking to this, God is not going to love you more. He's not going to answer some unanswered prayer. He's not going to forgive you of your sins. If you are here and you are not a Christian, this is not significant to you. If you are here and you are not a Christian, what we ask you to do today is rather than receiving bread and the juice, receive Jesus. Give your life over to him today. For the rest of you, I want you to know there will be two stations up here. There are also two stations in the back. So if you're in the very back, you might, or the back half of the room, you might want to go and grab communion from there. Front half, you might want to grab here. There will also be giving baskets that will have different people stationed. And if uh, this is your church family and you want to give uh, back a portion of what God has given you, you'll have an opportunity to do that as well. So what I want to do at this time is ask you to stand as our band comes forward. I want to pray for us. And then we'll continue in worship through communion and song. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Father, I pray right now through the power of your spirit that you will open our eyes to see the real Jesus. To see him as he really is and to trust He is who he says he is and has done everything that he says he has come to do so that we can experience life that is found in you. I pray if there's anyone here today who does not have that personal, intimate relationship with the real Jesus, would you right now, by your grace, pour out your love? Would you help them to feel your presence through your spirit? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.